I hope. So my name's Danny Ray. My job is to mess with your minds right now. I know, in the middle of service, I'm like, are you sure you wanna do this? And Pastor Mike's like, yes, we must destroy their minds. Okay, so uh, that is my job right now. To do this, I'm gonna need two things. I'm gonna need one person that has a quarter. So if you have a quarter, bring it up here and there are pens right here. I'll tell you what to do in a second. And then I'm going to need another person to do this. Uh, right here. Will you check out the, the Diet Coke? Make sure it's a Diet Coke. Nothing weird with that. You happy with that? You're just happy. That has nothing to do with this. Um, all right, does anybody, oh, you have a quarter. Okay, what I'm gonna have you do is right here is I'm gonna have you sign your name on both sides of that quarter and make it nice and big so every, she has a lot of cash too. I did see a lot of cash, Jerry. I don't know if you caught all that, but there, wow, I was, I was impressed. Um, okay, so let me just show you the, the Diet Coke here. So we have, we have the Diet Coke, yes. Uh, oh, with lime, yes, with lime. Okay, so there's the Diet Coke. And then what's your name right here? Tamara. Tamara, all right, and make sure you get both sides of it. And you could use the red one too if you want. Yes, that is, you're gonna do it. She is decorated, this is your, a piece of artwork right now. Uh, all right, so Tamara, yeah, those are a little tough to open. So she's, she's grabbing that, she's making like her favorite emoji there. I'm not sure what's happening. Okay, it is, a, it is a heart and she's coloring it in, it is beautiful. This explains a lot about you, Tamara. A beautiful heart. Um, if we would have drawn my heart, it would have been like a black heart. Okay, um, so <laughs> the dark arts. Okay. <laughs> so you can see uh, Tamara's heart there. Uh, and then on this, whoa. Uh, Jerry, which way does that go? Is this way? Here. Yeah, that, there. If you squint your eyes and make it blurry, it says Tamara. Uh, <laughs> All right, here we go. Watch. You guys are like so focused right now. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. You can see it right as it goes right. The real. Here, listen, listen. Right? Here, let me just show this to you just so you could see. Okay, you could see there's, there's the top, right? There, there's the bottom. But let's see if we could actually hear it in there. <laughs> right? Where's my microphone? Right there. Can you hear it? Yeah, okay. Hold. That's just an illusion, don't worry. <laughs> I'm not even here right now. <laughs> here, let me, let me grab this. Jerry, you want some? You just a little bit? Jerry, no? Uh, you're good? All right. Tamara, does that sound like your quarter? No? All right, very skeptical over here, very skeptical. All right, let's, let's see. Sure, let me have you get right underneath there. Let's see if we could, let me grab the, the pliers here. Tamara, can you see your, your quarter in there? Let, oh, right there. There we go, Tamara, is that your quarter? Yes, and there's, that's your heart? Here you go, Tamara. It's too late, it's already back. It's already back. Look. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll get out of here. Uh, give, give me about a minute though, Tamara. Uh, let's see. 
Well, it is Diet Coke with lime. lime. Some of you are not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> Just a prediction. Uh, does anybody want a lime? Uh, well, hold on, hold on. Look. I'm serious. There you are, Tamara. I'm going to savor this. I'm not going to spend this. Perfect. Don't, don't ever spend that. All right. Anybody want some Diet Coke with lime? Uh, yeah? You want a knife? Anybody want a knife? Uh, all right. I will see you tomorrow night. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Marriage is complex. It takes work. Today, we are going to take a hard look and how God could help us no matter where we are in our marriage before it collapses around us. That we are calling House of Cards, it's the illusion of a perfect family. And we have to give the illusion because we know none of us actually have perfect families. I mean, a lot of our families, you know, there's baggage, there's brokenness. We have issues. I mean, good gracious, my family's no different than your family. Sometimes you get together with your extended family, like at a holiday, and you look around the room, and it looks like the waiting room at Beetlejuice. Have you ever felt like that? That describes your family. But we've all been there. And our families, because they're broken, and, but see, this is what we're talking about in this series. How can we, through Jesus, what Jesus Christ has done for us, how can we see our families repaired? How can we see them restored so that we can experience the family the way God designed the family to be experienced? Now, this weekend, I'm once again going to talk about marriage, and I'll tell you why I'm spending two weeks on marriage. It's because, as I said last week, it is the foundation of the family. And if you don't get the foundation right, you're not going to get anything right. For example, next weekend, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about parenting. But if you don't have the marriage right, see, you, your parenting, it's going to be all out of sorts. It's never going to make sense. You're never going to be on the same page. So I want to talk about marriage, and it's important because I want you to understand, marriage is under attack. And it's not just in the United States. It's all over the world. I said the very first week of our series that in 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. That has now dipped to less than 50% of adult Americans that are married. In the recent 2018 census, for the first time in the history of America, we now have more adults aged 18 to 34 cohabitating or living together than those who are actually married. And if you ask those, they'll tell you they don't see the relevance of marriage. They don't see why getting married is such a big deal. Here's the problem. Uh, if that continues, marriage as God designed it and intended it to work, it could actually go extinct. So this weekend, I want to talk about why is marriage so important? It's not just about being happy. It's not just about staying together or divorce. Why is it so important to God? And as a result, you're going to see why Satan hates marriage and why he wants to do everything he possibly can to destroy your marriage. Now, let me just begin by saying this. I get it. I understand of all people that the marriage relationship, it is the most complicated relationship that you're ever going to navigate through in your life. And I think we get that. I think we understand that. You know, December 23rd this year, Laura and I will have been married 41 years. 41 years she has put up with me, okay? And I tell you what, I still haven't figured it out. 
For giving an example, I don't own a piece of clothing that Laura does not buy me and tell me to wear. But still, this is what can happen. I can walk out dressed in clothing that she bought for me, but I don't realize that there are certain combinations that don't work sometimes. And I will walk out and Laura say, you're not going to wear that, are you? Now, I just want to go on the record and say, nothing is wrong with what I'm wearing. This is clothing she actually bought for me. See, she's getting in my head. She's messing with my mind a little bit, right? You're not going to wear that, are you? And I'm like, no. I put this on. I need to carry the trash cans out to the curb. Then I'm going to come back in, take off my clothes, sit on the bed in my underwear until you come in and tell me exactly what I should wear to work today. See, that's just the way marriage is. It is very, very complicated. It is very, very difficult to navigate. We don't really need Satan attacking us. We have enough problems on our own. But I want to show you why Satan hates marriage so much by looking at Matthew chapter 19, which I believe is the most in-depth passage in the entire Bible on the topic of marriage. Because in Matthew chapter 19, we have a question being asked to Jesus about marriage and divorce, and Jesus himself gives the answer. Now think about this. Since Jesus is God, this is actually God's answer to the question. In fact, it's in red. That's a big deal. Now let me just say this before I get started. If you're here this weekend and you've experienced the trauma of divorce, I just want to say I don't ever want you to feel condemned at Hope Community Church. You're not a second-class citizen around here. I've got a lot of close friends who have been divorced. I've got family members who have been divorced. It's not the unpardonable sin. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're a uh, a Baptist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Woo! Maybe. (laughs) What I meant to say was, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. I mean, if statistics hold true, and they aren't any different, we found out from inside the church or outside the church, about half of you listening this weekend across our campuses, you've been through the divorce. And the reality is, a lot of you sitting here would say, Mike, man, if I had my way, I'd still be in that marriage, fighting for that marriage. And the reality is this, a lot of us that are sitting around you that are, st- uh, that are still married, if we were honest, a lot of us would say, you know what, except for the grace of God, I'd be divorced. I would agree with that. In fact, I could even relate to that statement. God's, God's grace has played a huge part in our marriage. God's grace, to be honest with you, plays a huge part in any marriage that makes it. But see, you may be sitting here divorced and thinking, you know, well, where was the grace of God in my situation? And I get that you're feeling that way because when it comes to marriage, it takes two people. And maybe you gave it everything, but the other person just wasn't really into it. And so I would just say this, except for the grace of God and Laura, I would be divorced. Because I can tell you, it, there have, I've been a jerk at times. I've been a chauvinist at times. I've said really stupid things. I've done really stupid things. But because of not just God's grace, but because of Laura's grace, we're still married. So I want you to understand, if you've experienced divorce, this is a no condemnation message. However, it is okay as Christians that sometimes we feel convicted. Because conviction is the Holy Spirit's way of talking to us through God's word saying, okay, here's some things we could learn. And maybe as we go through this this weekend, there's some things you could learn that would position you because God has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. God may very well have your spouse picked out in the future, but these may be things, things you may know, need to know about marriage and how God sees marriage is going to help you in that next marriage. For some of us who are thinking, do I get in? Do I stay in? Do I get out? 
maybe your perspective will change when you see what Jesus has to say about the importance of marriage. So let's start by looking at Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. It says some uh, Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. And often, often they would do this to try to paint Jesus into a corner, ask him a question they thought maybe would stump him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And this Greek word that's translated here, any, it's actually a very exclusive, doesn't seem very important. It's a very exclusive Greek word. I mean, it could literally read, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? That's the question they asked Jesus. Now, if you want to know the answer to this question, it's right here. And this answer comes straight from Jesus, which means it comes straight from God, so we know that it's the right answer. So Jesus answers, he responds in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, haven't you read? And it's interesting, if you could see this in the original language, it's very colorful. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, have you lost your minds? Are you kidding me? Are you seriously asking me that question? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason. Now that tells us that there's a reason that Jesus is getting ready to say what he's getting ready to say. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I've heard people say that marriage is 50-50. Marriage is not 50-50. A marriage that is 50-50 will never work. Marriage is 100-100. And if you've got one person that's in it up to 100% and you've got one that's in it 63%, you're going to have problems in your marriage. It's probably not going to make it. It's 100-100. So he says, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Now here's the question. Do you think that Jesus exaggerates? No. Do you think Jesus lies? Obviously not. Well, Jesus says here, the two will become one. The two will become one. It's like when you say I do, from God's perspective, it goes like this to this. Two become one. Verse six, therefore what God has joined, and this word joint is the very same word you would use to describe two animals that were yoked together, maybe to pull a wagon or a cart. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So they come to Jesus and ask, you know, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? In fact, if you have the New American Standard, that's, that's exactly how the verse is, is translated there. And the answer to that question, Jesus says, is no. No. You can't do that. The two have become one. Verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a wife give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses didn't command it. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. In other words, it wasn't this way when God created marriage. It wasn't this way before sin came into the equation. Now, I'll just say this the nicest way I can. In every divorce, there's at least one person with a hard heart. Every divorce. Sometimes there's two. Sometimes there's two. But many times, and I've done a lot of counseling over the years, it's, it's just one partner that has a hard heart. You got one partner who's giving it 100%. One partner who's really pulling for the relationship. One partner who really wants to see it stay together and work. And you've got one who's just mm, got a hard heart. So this is what Jesus was saying. Moses permitted you to divorce because you had a hard heart. Now let me just tell you what was going on in the days of Moses to put this in perspective. Jewish men were, would marry their first wife. And then after a while, they would take a second wife. 
And of course, the second wife was a new wife, so she was like the new shiny thing, right? So she would get all the attention, she would get all the affection at, at the sake of neglecting and maybe even abusing the first wife. And so Moses said, if that's the case, give that first wife a divorce. And maybe another man will come along and marry her and treat her like the princess that she is. Let me give you a little hint when you study the Bible. Moses always represents the law. It's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Sometimes it's referred to as the Mosaic Law. It's the thou shalt, thou shalt not. The do's, the don'ts, all the rules, all the regulations. It's, oh no, I've sinned. I've got to get an animal. I've got to go find a priest. Someone needs to make a sacrifice on my behalf so my relationship with God can be restored. Oh no, I sinned again. A lot of us would be in this cycle. I've got to go get an animal. I've got to go to the priest. That was the Old Covenant. See, Moses represents the law. Jesus represents grace. Now, when we think about grace, what do we think about? Love, forgiveness, mercy, sacrifice second chances, third chances, fourth chances, if you're like me, a hundredth chances, right? But let me show you an interesting verse. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses represents the law, Jesus represents grace. Now here's my point, back to Matthew chapter 19. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Jesus said, no. That, that, that's not acceptable. They responded, whoa, Moses said we could... And Jesus responded, this is interesting, under the law, you can't. Now, those of us who've been around church for a while, and we've studied the Bible for a while, and we've studied the Old Testament, we would expect this to say that under the law, you can't get a divorce. Because the law is rigid. The law is black and white. There's no mercy. There's no room for error whatsoever. In fact, James says you break one aspect of the law, you are guilty of breaking the entire law. So we would understand if under the law, the Old Testament rules and rigidity that you can't get a divorce but it doesn't say that and we would think that it would say well grace well that's probably okay to get a divorce because grace is all about love and mercy and it's all about forgiveness and second third and fourth and hundredth chances but that's not what it says under grace it says you're in a covenant work at it stay in it now let's go back to Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. I'll come back to that whole covenant idea in a minute. Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason. So here's the question, what reason? What reason? Well, there are three things about marriage, and I keep saying as God designed it. Okay, it doesn't really bother me what culture thinks or what culture wants to do. I'm just speaking from God's perspective. Three things about marriage as God designed it that we need to know. In other words, there are three reasons that marriage is so important to God that most of us don't even understand. We think it's about falling in love, finding a life partner, and hopefully we'll make it. 50% of us won't. But maybe I'll be on the positive side, right? But it's more important than that. Here's the first one. Understand marriage represents God on this earth. Marriage represents God on this earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's go back to those verses we looked at the first week. Then God said, let's make mankind in our image. That's the first reference that there's a trinity. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so key, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here's my point. Male and female is the image of God. <clears throat> and not just any male and female. It's a husband and a wife. 
So understand the importance of this. When God wanted to create a portrait of himself on this earth, he created the marriage between a husband and a wife. By the way, as a side note, the image of God is not a man. Women, you can say, yeah, okay. Male and female is the image of God. And you have to understand, that's why Satan is in an all-out war against marriage. It's because marriage, as God designed it, is the image of God on this earth. I mean, think about this. Why didn't Satan attack Adam when it was just Adam in the garden? See, he didn't, did he? When did he attack Adam? He attacked Adam when Eve showed up. In other words, he didn't attack them until the image of God showed up, and that's when it got real. That's when he got angry. In other words, he wasn't scared. He wasn't bothered as long as it was Adam by himself. See, he got nervous. He got scared when the image of God showed up, and he saw the image of God in Adam and Eve. Now, we know God's a triune God, right? Three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And some of you are thinking, well, Mike, wait a minute, marriage is two in one. But that's where you would be wrong, because marriage as God designed it is a husband, it's a wife, and it's God. You remember the first week I said before sin came, Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with each other and a perfect relationship with God. But after sin came, they were in a broken relationship with each other and they were in a broken relationship with God. But the way God designed it, it was husband, wife, God. I used to use this illustration back when I used to do premarital counseling. I don't really get to do that anymore. But it's kind of like this, like a triangle. God would be at the top. A husband would be here. A wife would be here. And a lot of times in our marriage, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we can get closer together. And as a result, we don't get any closer together. In fact, we have all kind of conflict in our marriage. But this is what you miss. If a husband will focus on getting closer to God... And if a wife will focus on being closer and more like God, what happens? You automatically get closer together. And that's how God designed a marriage to work. By the way, do you know what that means? It means that when Laura and I are around, say, a couple, they're an unbelieving couple, they don't know Jesus. Maybe they're just kind of kicking the tires of Christianity. When we're hanging around a couple who are not Christians, they should leave, their head, they should leave scratching their head and thinking, Honey, did you pick up on how weird that was? Mike and Laura, I mean, they're like two distinct individual people. But it seems like they're one. I mean, they are as different as night and day. Laura's beautiful. He's ugly as sin. She's obviously very intelligent. He's dumb as a rock. She's so sweet, he is such a jerk. But honey, they were like one. And right now, some of you are getting a little little uncomfortable because you're here this weekend and you're not married and you're thinking, wait a minute, is Mike saying that I can't represent God on this earth unless I'm married? Well, think of it this way. Jesus, who was single when he was on the earth, represented the Father, okay? Now, let me just say this. Even if you're not married, you can still represent God on this earth. And in three weeks, I'm going to speak specifically to singles. And one, I want to talk to you about why it's okay to be single. And why you shouldn't feel like something's wrong with you if you're single. You can be comfortable and and secure in your singleness if God has called you to be single. Second, if you are going to get married, how do you choose the mate of a lifetime? How do you do that? And we all need this because 
this is stuff we need to share with our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors and, and our classmates. How do you actually pick the mate that you will spend the rest of your life with? So I'm going to talk to the singles in just a few weeks. But this weekend, I'm talking to the married people, so you just got to be patient. But right back to the married couples. Do you realize the world we live in knows absolutely nothing about this concept of two becoming one? See, we live in a world where if you go get just marriage counseling, there's not biblical base, they're going to say, yeah, you're married, but she needs to be her own person. And, and you, you need to be your own person. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that two, a husband and a wife, need to become one with God. Because, see, that's the image of God on this earth. That's the first thing that you need to know about marriage. Here's second. Marriage represents the relationship between Jesus and the church. Paul wrote a great chapter when he wrote to the church of Ephesus, chapter 5. It's on, a lot of it's on marriage. But this is what he says in Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ lay, love the church? Well, he loved the church so much that he laid down his life for the church. He gave his life for the church. And so understand what we're seeing is the two of you together along with God, you represent the Trinity on this earth. But as a man and a woman, the husband represents Jesus and the wife represents the church of Jesus. Often referred to in the New Testament as the bride of Christ. And Paul gives us in verse 33 it's some idea of what that looks like in the relationship, in the practical side of it. He said, each of you, each one of you, and he's speaking to men, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In other words, we're to love our wives in such a way that we would be willing to lay down our life for them. And wives, you need to respect, and sometimes the word is honor, your husband. What does that mean? Well, men, let me speak to you for a second. Let's say that you have a friend. Let's just say that his name's Sam. Sam's not a Christian. You've known him for years. You guys have been friends since high school. You do everything together. He's heard their story over and over again about how you became a Christian. You would love for him to become a Christian. So let's just say you're playing golf or you're fishing one day, and out of the blue, Sam asks you. So listen, if I become a Christian, what's my life going to be like? In other words, how is God going to treat me if I give him control of my life? Men, this is how you ought to be able to answer that question. Well, Sam... Have you noticed how I treat my wife? God is going to treat you the same way. Let me ask you, how do you think Sam would respond to that? You think he would say, oh, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want to be put down. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be bossed around. I don't want to be bullied, you know. I think I'll pass. I mean, let me just say, if you think that being a good husband looks like that, so you, you would be a horrible example of Jesus. What Sam should say is, oh, wow. So God's going to treat me the way you treat your wife. You, you mean he's going to love me? You mean he's going to honor me? You, know, you mean he's going to cherish me? You mean he's going to treat me like royalty? Well, heck yeah, if that's the case, I want to follow Jesus. But man, you got to understand, in the relationship, we represent Jesus. Ladies, now it's your turn. Let's say you have a friend, and you're out doing your power walking one morning. <laughs> That's so funny to me when you guys do that. But anyway, anyway, so let's say you're doing your power walk, and you really got your power walk on. And she says between breaths, you know what? I really don't understand this prayer thing. I don't know how to talk to God. And you're like, well, that's easy. Just talk to God like I talk to my husband. Is she going to say, oh, 
You mean I can call him a blankety-blank-blank idiot? Oh, you mean I can be disrespectful? Oh, you mean I can talk to everybody else about his weaknesses? My point, and of course I'm being silly, is marriage is a lot more important than you think. And this is why in Matthew 19, Jesus got so upset when they asked, is it okay for us to get a divorce? You know what I think Jesus wanted to say? Let me ask you a question. You think it's okay for the Trinity to get a divorce? I mean, haven't you read, haven't you heard that you represent us on the earth? And not only that, not only do you represent the Trinity, you represent me and the church, my bride on this earth. But there's one more. Third, marriage represents the new covenant that God made with us through Jesus. The new covenant. Let me say a few things about covenant. I'll give you like a seminary crash course. We don't we don't have covenants in our culture. We have contracts. But the word covenant means to bond something together or to shackle two things together. And a covenant in the Old Testament generally had four parts. It was the terms. Basically, I'll do this if you'll do that. And then second, there was the oath. And this is something that was spoken to one another. And then there was the ratification. And you would exchange different things to demonstrate that you were in a covenant. Sometimes you would exchange shoes. Sometimes you would take maybe a handful of rice out of a bag you had and put it in their bag. And they would take a handful of rice and put it in your bag or grain or whatever. And then fourth, there was the curse. And the curse is basically, if you don't keep your end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to you. And if I don't keep my end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to me. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've seen three parts of a covenant. There's the charge. The, the minister will say, do you promise to love and cherish and keep, and yada, 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 and the couple says we do. But that sets the terms for the covenant that they're getting ready to enter into. And then there's the oath. What do we call the oath? The vows, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. And then how do we symbolically ratify the covenant? We exchange rings. When you think about it, the only thing that we don't have in our modern-day ceremonies is the curse. But I'm thinking about adding it to mine. See, I'm thinking maybe that's why marriages aren't holding up. We've taken out the curse. See, the curse would be something like this. You got the vows. I, I've already pictured it. You got the vows. You've exchanged rings. You've had the prayer of blessing. The pastor has pronounced you as husband and wife. And he says, but before I let you go, the curse is this. Billy Bob, if you don't do what you said you are going to do, Sally Mae, her daddy's got a real big gun. See, that would be the curse. That would be some incentive. Now, now, let me tell you the difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, we protect our rights and we limit our responsibility. Isn't that why we get contracts? We're protecting our rights. We're limiting our responsibilities. In a covenant, we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. And the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife is an example to the world of the covenant that God has made with us. For example, if a person asks me, Mike, how do I know that God will keep his word to me? I ought to be able to answer, look at how Laura and I as a married couple have kept our word to each other. Because when we got married, we entered into a covenant. And understand, from God's perspective, it is binding. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, and we weren't smart enough to shut up right there, so we added, till death do us part, right? And so understand, marriage is an example of the new covenant that God makes with us. So let me just explain for a second the difference between the old covenant, the Mosaic law, and the new covenant. In the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law, God said, listen, I'm going to make, he says to the people of Israel, I want to make a covenant with you. 
I have a part, you're going to have a part. God says, my part is this. My part is I'm going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to love you, and I'm never ever going to leave you. God said, that's my part. Now here's your part. Your part is to be perfect. Just be perfect. Obey all the rules, all the regulations, all the thou shalt, the thou shalt, all of those. Just do everything that's in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. All of those things. Just do all of those things and don't mess any of it up. And Israel so desperately wanted to be in relationship with God, they said, okay, we'll do it. But they were breaking the rules before Moses even got down off the mountain with the law, right? Right? They couldn't keep up with it. That was the old covenant. That's the Old Testament. That was before Jesus. This is the new covenant that was issued in with Jesus. God says, I want to be in a covenant with you. Here's my part. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you unconditionally, and I'm never, ever going to leave you. Your part is, you know what? Hang on a second. Jesus, would you come over here for a second? Jesus, this is Mike. Mike, this is, this is Jesus. He's my son. Jesus, listen. I'm trying to make this covenant thing with Mike. I've told him what my part is, but you know what? He's, he's not even going to be able to do his part. I mean, you get to know him. He is a big-time screw-up. So, Jesus, I, I was just wondering, would you be willing to go to earth and do his part for him? Would you be willing to live the life that he can't live And would you also be willing to die the death that he should die? And Jesus said, okay, I'll I'll do it. I'll, I'll do Mike's part. And he did. And then one day God said to me, Mike, do you believe that Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live and that he died the death that you deserved? And when I was just a small child, I said, yeah, I I believe that. Some of you may have been in high school. Some of you may have been in college. Some of you may have made that decision. But see, you responded to the gospel so you could be, well, you could be re- reconciled back into a relationship with God. And when you made that decision, God said, you're in the covenant. You're my child. Now, here's the kicker. And this is why this is so important. God also said, and even if you don't keep your part of the covenant, I'm keeping mine. That's marriage as God designed it. Even if my spouse doesn't keep his, even if my spouse doesn't keep her into the covenant, I'm keeping mine. And understand, when we do that, we're sending a message to the world, hey, this is what God is like. He's a covenant-keeping God. Now, let me just say this. I know that many of you sitting here listening at our campuses this weekend, you're already divorced. That ship is sailed. You did everything you possibly could do to keep that marriage together. In fact, if it were up to you, you would still be fighting for that marriage. But there was somebody with a hard heart. And so you're divorced. This is what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. And it's not just for people who are married. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have hope for your future.
And so you claim that promise and you move forward. C.S. Lewis said this, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start now and change the ending. I'm telling you, as painful as it's been, you have no idea where God is going to take you on this journey. And you have no idea how he's going to use your story to impact other people. Maybe you're here this weekend and you're still in a marriage with someone who has a hard heart. And you're trying everything. You're praying that God will soften their heart. You're trying to get them to go to re-engage. You're suggesting books. You're, you're doing everything you can, but now you're kind of getting to the end of your rope. And you don't know what to do. And I know it takes two. But my encouragement to you would be, don't give up. Do everything you can hang in there until you feel like for some reason God has released you. I haven't walked in your shoes. I tell couples of people all the time when they come to me, I don't know what to do, and I tell them, and they'll ask me, I'll say, at the end of the day, I can tell you what the Bible says. That's all I can do. But I tell them if I were in your shoes, when my head hits the pillow at night, and it's just me and God, I want to be able to say, God, you know, you know I did everything I could to make this work. I gave it my all. See? And I know this is a tough message. But I'll tell you this. God has an incredible plan for your life. And he has a future. And wherever you are on this journey, now you know, now you know what God his expectation is. You know how he sees marriage. Now you're prepared to move forward and say, now I know. I better get it right. Maybe I need to be a little slower in making the choice. But now you know how to move forward to meet God's expectations. Let's pray together. You know, I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do you know why I think Paul wrote that? Because I think he knew that sometimes it's impossible to be at peace with people. And try as you may, you can't. And some people, they can't even be at peace with themselves, much less with other people. And so I understand, sometimes you have no choice. There are circumstances that are beyond your control. And I just want to encourage you, when you come to that crossroad, spend adequate time praying and seeking God's heart and seeking God's plan. Father, thank you. Thank you for helping us understand why marriage is important. It's not just about us being happy. It's not even about us being in love. It's really, at the end of the day, about us being committed because we made a covenant with you. Help us to understand how important that is. But Father, also help us to balance that out with Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And allow us to walk out of here, maybe convicted of things we could do better that would be more in alignment with what you would have us to do and how you would have us behave and react as Christians. But Father, help us to understand that you don't see us through a lens of being a second-class citizen, that you love us unconditionally. So we thank you for what you're gonna do in our hearts, in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.
Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 